Hey, Aryam, I see you're wearing some really cool shoes. I see that there's a design on them. It uh, looks like Huey, the character Huey from Boondocks. Uh, do you want to tell me more about these shoes and if you did the design? Yeah, so these are actually my first pair, Huey and Riley uh, from Boondocks. Um, I got into it just because I really love watching TV shows and I love shoes. So, um, And I've always been an artist for a while, so I started my customizing business, which is Aruvinci, um, A-R-U-E-V-I-N-C-E-I. Um, so I just would love to say also I want to support what David and the team is doing and uh, would love to give the audience 15% off. So if you can message me, DM me at Aruvinci, which is A-R-U-E-V-I-N-C-I, um, you can definitely hit me up and let me know that you, you are David's audience and I'll give you 15% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Unboxed. My name is David. I'm the host and co-creator of the show alongside Delfina. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our channel. And if you're watching on YouTube, um, be sure to subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the audio version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor. You can also follow us and uh, we definitely appreciate it if you could give a five-star rating and review. So today I'm joined by some amazing guests. So what I'll do is call in your name and, and ask that you um, give your pronoun as well and um, also just uh, speak to the ancestral lands if applicable uh, that you're calling from. So I will start with Tunji. Um, hello, my name is Tunji Taylor Lewis, he, him, and I am coming, I'm staying at the uh, traditional ancestral lands of the Stolo people. Okay, and you next. Hello, my name is Yul Libera. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'd like to acknowledge that I am on and talking from the unceded traditional territory of the Katsi, Samiamu, Kwantlen, Sawasan, Stolo, and the Sandwich peoples. Hi, my name is Amarachi Chuku, um, and I am... Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I am currently a guest of the, um, the traditional territories of the Anishinaabeg um, people, the Haudenosaunee um, Confederacy, and the Haudenosaunee people. Hey, my name is Azuka Ndukagu. Pronouns are they, them. I am calling from the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. Hi, my name is Delfina, and I reside on the traditional ancestral lands of the Katsi, Tuasin, Stolo, Saanich, Kwantlen, and Sumanis land. Um, my pronouns are she and her. Uh, hi, my name is Emily, pronouns she or they, and I'm calling in from the traditional territories of the Kikite people. Hi, I'm Travis. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm originally from the ancestral land of the Kalinago people. Awesome. So... Yeah, we uh, thank you everyone again for um, agreeing to, to uh, take part in this conversation. This is definitely um, a very, very heavy time that we're, we're all going through in view of the, uh, the recent um, events surrounding the uh, murders, uh, called them murders, uh, because we really know what they are, um, of, of George Floyd, um, Brianna Taylor, Regis Korczynski, uh, Paquette, and um, and so many others um, in, in recent weeks. Um, so first really question that I wanted to ask is, um, how are we feeling? How are we processing everything that has happened? Um, you know, is it something that we've become a little bit numb to or is it, has it been triggering in any way? 
how how are you really processing all the news that's been that's been coming out? Uh, I don't know. I don't know why, but the uh, the um, George Floyd situation, for whatever reason, like hit differently. And with the Ahmaud Arbery case, with the Breonna Taylor case, it was heartbreaking. Um, it was definitely like a lot to process and manage. You know, it definitely put me in a in a funk. But I think. The only thing I can turn to as far as why the George Floyd situation is so just so tough to handle it and it just put me in such a dark place is because of like the pure cruelty of it and that image of you know seeing that police officer's knee on his neck and like how you know he died a slow and painful death as a result of it and how it's like you know like the modern day version of lynching like there's like a certain cruelty i think almost with the ahmad arbery case it was easier to watch that video because like with all the movies and stuff we watch i've almost become desensitized to gunshots um and it, you know it's sort of like quick and final and like even though it's heartbreaking but like this one the visual of it was just like so you know just dark and and dirty and it just um that's the only reason why I can sort of like maybe justify why it hit me in such a different and deep place and like why it's hit everybody in such a different and deep place. Like, um, I, you know, this is, this is one of the worst ones I've ever seen for sure. Um, I just want to say um, that for me, at least, I found that like it never really gets numb. Um, I think we see it often, but every time it hurts as hard, if not harder. Mm. Like it feels worse, if that makes sense. I personally have stopped watching videos just because of the effect that had on me. I'm like, I, I can bear witness and I can read about this, but I can't watch that kind of violence anymore. I think, I feel like numbness would be a gift at this point. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't imagine um, it will get any less painful and horrifying and heartbreaking um, the more we see. Um, and I think, of course, this week, seeing all the different conversations, I think, um, yeah, I personally, at least speaking for myself, I'm not okay. And um, yeah, I, I think even the moments where I think I am, I, like, I also know I'm actively avoiding feelings. Like I'm like, we're putting feelings on mute because we can't do that. Um, mm -hmm. But like, yeah, not okay. I was just gonna add, it feels like, um, it feels cumulative. And it mm -hmm. feels like, especially in this specific time, I think things are hitting a bit different considering we're also dealing with the stress of a pandemic, which is also hitting our communities extra hard. So I don't think that's something to ignore either. And. I mean, these are new conditions that the same stuff is happening in that none of us have ever lived through before. It's sort of another element to it um, that I think augments just everything that we're uh, constantly seeing anyway. Yeah, I think like the cumul the, I mean, the sheer violence and the cruelty of, of, um, of this particular video, like seeing someone um, suffocating while they are clearly calling out for help 
and knowing that technically we could do something. We could go there, you could, the people, the bystanders technically could go push this cop away, but obviously they can't because then they would be killed. Um, and, and knowing this dynamic of, oh, there's someone, I'm watching someone and re-watching them because it's on all the feeds, uh, re-watching them their last moments and in one of the most cruel ways that you can possibly die, which is suffocating. Um, it's, it's, it's unfathomable in, in, in some ways because it's, it's it, yeah, it's different from someone being shot. Not that those people's lives didn't also suddenly end, but I think in that video, um, it's more pronounced because we see it happen. The other ones are, 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 are more fuzzy. We're not, we're not exactly sure. We, we are told what's happened, but we don't, we don't see it. And the mm -hmm. cumulative effect that Emily talked about that we've, we've already seen for weeks now um, that black communities in particular across the world uh, are affected much worse than, than, than other communities and, and have worse health out outcomes, are policed differently when it comes to social distancing. Um, and then now we're all stuck in one place and all we see on social media every day is videos and people, people just post them willy nilly. Um, and, and I don't think they often realize that, oh, no, I'm, I'm watching a person die over and over and over again. And I'm watching, not only am I doing that, I'm watching a person die who looks like my family, looks like my friends, who looks like my community. Yeah, I think, I think it's a really great point that you made, um, Azuka. And, and I think people, it would help, you know, obviously, if people tried to use content warnings or, you know, trigger warnings um, before they would post things because it's, you know, personally, I, I've, I've tried to kind of withdraw myself as much as possible because it seems like so much is being, you keep seeing it over and over again. And, you know, today I just kind of spent my day. I went outside, I took a walk. I, I, I just kind of shut, drew back from social media because it just seemed like there was so much going on and, and you know, we kept on seeing these images more and more and more. So do you find that that's helpful? Because I think there needs to be a lot of conversation around the, um, the mental aspects because, you know, we talk about the physical violence that's, that's being um, inflicted on our communities, black communities, but then also the mental aspect I think is, is under talked about because these, I think these impacts will really begin to be seen long-term where, you know, you may have people dealing with long-term mental, um, mental health issues um, born out of this time, just because we've seen these things on social media, we talk about the cumulative effect. So we've seen these images over and over again, and you know, they, they're, they're, they're quite traumatic. So, um, you know, you just, uh, it's, 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 it's a little bit uh, scary to think about, you know, what, what, what sorts of impacts could come moving forward. Um, and I also think another point um, also is that I think, our community is, is quite unique in that uh, we're not just connected by, you know, the fact that we may all look alike, but also by, um, I think we're connected in, in, in our pain. Like we share a certain amount of pain uh, and we feel when we see, you know, someone who looks like us being um, killed or, you know, being harmed in, in a certain way, we, we almost, it almost like you feel it with them, you know, you, you feel, because you, you can you can very real it's it's a very real danger that you feel like this could happen to me tomorrow, you know. Um, so uh, Azuka, I see you, you you'd like to make another point as well. Yeah, it's it's 
it's, a, it's I mean, we were already going into a mental health crisis as a result of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's, and I, I felt it so much this week that just after a really overwhelming weekend of seeing all these posts and it's a very small community here. So there's a lot more of a, having conversations with, with people and you can tell how, how they are doing really poorly. And um, I gathered with a couple of other black folks uh, just a few days ago and it was really good to be able to to just be together and to just know that I know that white people uh, or non-black folks aren't, aren't experiencing the pain in the same way that we are and so being able to gather with people uh, who, who, who you know are feeling some of that pain is really helpful but even in that moment I can't now go and hug someone like some of the really important uh, aspects of of consoling other people we, we we can't do that right now or at least we can't do it safely and 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 taking that away is necessary but an incredibly cruel in a moment where, where really that's that's what we need okay um so i think another um point that uh i think has come up is is the response so the protesting that's been happening and um, we've seen, you know, all across social media, it seems like in multiple cities, there have been protests and, um, you know, there definitely seems to be, at least, you know, people have kind of been harping on the, um, the violent aspect of the protests. And so what do you, what do we think about um, those who say that, well, you know, it's unproductive for the protests to become violent or, you know, it's they're not justified or it undermines the message um, of of what's being the message that's being um, pushed. Yeah, man. I just at at this point, at this point, it's it's deflection. Like I can't imagine that it's anything other than that. Um, back, I don't know how many years ago it was, but you know, back in the days when Trayvon, you know, got shot and. Um, um, the other names, the other name is slipping my head, but around that time, you know, I could maybe understand why people would say that, you know, violence isn't the answer and stuff like that was because it was because for our generation, for our social media generation, like we were really being exposed to police brutality for the very first time, unless you actually came from those actual environments and you saw it all the time, a lot of these things were hidden and uh, social media and like at that time social media was like sort of exposing these things for the first time and becoming these you know these viral conversations that they're becoming now um and uh, and you know people and like that was a way for people to become you know educated in you know social issues particularly you know issues to do with you know uh black lives and how we're um we're our, our lives are being terrorized by the police i could understand it at that point but at this point this thing has happened enough times there has been enough information out there from entertainment to you know the news to um, you know, social media personalities to, you know, there, there's so many different ways that um, you could at least know the basic shit of what's going on. And so at this point, if you see the protests and you, when I saw the protests, I wasn't surprised in the least. I was just like, yeah, like it, it was literally like the same pattern that I've seen over and over again with all of these situations since Trayvon. And I understand that white people don't have all the same information or resources or they're not always, um, they're not as deep in the loop as we are. Like they don't get as much information that we do about this stuff. 
But at the same time, you've seen this thing happen. You know why this is happening. You know what's up. And at this point, I can't imagine it's anything other than you trying to deflect or you trying to make this about something other than it's not, right? Yeah. Did I say that? Did I say that sentence correctly? You're trying to make it about something that it is not. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> Amy? Um, yeah, um, I just wanted um, to add that I think the distinction that is made around like the protest versus a riot is also such um, a constructed thing. I think the fact of his violence um, doesn't make it a riot, in my opinion. It is still a rebellion. It is still um, making a, like the political statement um, regarding the fact that police brutality and violence against Black people's anti-Blackness is not acceptable. Like mm -hmm. that is why protest is a necessity, right? And so when it's like, it becomes violent, I think a lot of conversations have been had in the past by different thought leaders talking about how right is almost always like, you know, the only way to speak for those who are not listened to, right? Mm -hmm. Like Tony Morrison talks about how like, um, when we think about riots and see riots, we don't think about the amount of restraint and the waiting that has happened before this moment. We don't acknowledge the patience and you know, like the peaceful protests that have happened before this moment. And so it's like, oh, the riot, the like the violence. It's like, I'm sorry, what about the waiting? What about the peaceful protests? What about the many conversations, the calling in? What about those? You know what I mean? Like even going back to like um what uh Tinji said, like, oh, like going back to like Trayvon Martin or like Eric Garner and thinking about that time period and how long it's been and how this keeps happening over and over again. It's like, you're lucky it's just this. You know what I mean? Like this, like the lack of change we've seen over this period of time, the lack of change we've seen like through time immemorial because this violence has shifted, but it's still the same institutional violence. The fact that like, this is what you're getting, it's a gift. You know what I mean? Like it could be so much worse because of the sheer horror and the sheer um like continuity of this violence the response should be worse the response should be more yeah so I just have a couple things to say um the information is out there the all of the shootings and stuff like we have them on we have some of them on video i think it's just on display and then everybody is sharing it. A lot of news sources is sharing it. So I think at this point, everybody should have seen all this happening. And to be ignorant now is a choice. Another thing is they're using this violent protest thing as a pawn. The only reason why Trump knows George's name is because he's using that to make the violent protests look bad and then calling those people thugs, right? Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing. Everybody was silent about this whole thing at first. And then now it became violent. And then everybody is like, oh, this is out of pocket. It's, it's too much. And everybody is drowning, is drowning the message and all that. I think all of that is a choice. And they're just using George's name. And I think that it's very deplorable. That's very disgusting to his name. Yeah, I think the... There are a couple of lots of great points there. I think the question alone is one that I find upsetting because mm. because the the moment you start talking about protests about riots, 
you are you're moving away from the fact that a, a state sanctioned force has on so many occasions just killed civilians um killed civilians in situations that did not it did not warrant any sort of uh, lethal force. Uh, in George Floyd's case, was it a, uh, it was a, a, a dollar bill or a check that, that bounced when he was buying groceries? Like how, how, does that, how does that make any sense? And the moment it, it turns up, like, I've, I've talked to a lot of black folks and just try, trying to get feedback on, hey, how, how have your white friends or your non-black friends responded to this? And quite a few were asked, oh, so what do you think about the riots? It's like I, like I don't think about the riots in, in in the sense of that. Oh, this is a bad thing that is happening so much that this is as a response to it to to some terrible violence. And I mean, historically, um, these sort of protests and riots have always come out of as a result of police violence. They haven't come out of oh, people are just upset generally. No, it's been like people saw incredible violence and then they responded after having been patient, not just for for years, decades, they have been patient since since they were stolen from uh, since they were stolen from their ancestral lands. Um, and uh, I think Tunji men mentioned that white people don't have the resources. Uh, and I would say that they absolutely have the resources. They haven't, they don't, what they don't have is, is an investment in into learning this. Mm. Like we don't learn it in schools. We don't. People every time these things come up, we encourage folks to hey read a couple of books. There are lots of books about. They're, they're really good. There's really good literature around even racism in Canada because obviously in Canada typically people will say oh it's a problem across the border, as though the border weren't just a line on the on the map and and people weren't watching the same kinds of things on TV. So I really want to discourage the, the, any sort of narrative that white people don't have the resources. We're having this conversation in English because white people had the resources to, to force our ancestors either to come here or to make them learn English because they didn't uh, want to have those original uh, languages. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, I find that, that part of the narrative incredibly upsetting. And um, I think it also dishonors our anger and our pain, um, which is, it's a righteous anger. People have the right to be upset. And especially because the riots have predominantly focused on property. It's like, oh, who cares about property? Like, people have died. People have died and people keep dying and will continue to die. And you're worried about some, some target that burned down or was looted or a police station. For all I care, uh, all, if, if, if no black person or any other person is ki killed for no reason by police anymore, burn down all the police stations. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of um, jump off something that Travis mentioned, sort of um, uh, some of these riots or protests or um, actions being co-opted. And I have noticed um, a few examples coming out and, it, you know, it's always uh, hard to verify things online sometimes. Um, but there seems to be at least some very credible um, examples coming out on social media as well of um, sort of white anarchists and other white folks coming from outside these communities um, and purposely instigating especially some of the violence. So whether it's a police officer smashing windows or um, I saw another one recently where there was a pallet of bricks left outside the courthouse 
in, yeah. a, in a neighborhood that was not having any construction done or anything like that. And somebody, you know, posted this just saying like, we see you, you know, like who leaves a, a pallet of bricks outside of a courthouse during a four day, you know, protest. But anyhow, it just seems like there's also a lot of um, examples of, of, of that, of the, the situation being co-opted in order to push you know, different agendas as well. So I, I, there's an amalgamation of different vexations I have and, and, and frustrations, immense frustrations I have with regards to everything that's been transpiring over the past couple of weeks. Um, but ultimately I, I felt rage, like genuine, vehement, ardent rage when, like even now talking about it, like I have to calm myself down when, when I have to, and I, when, I, when I have to, when I see other black friends have to, and black family have to argue our existence, argue uh, for our existence, argue our rage, argue our pain. So when we're told, you know, why are they writing? Why are they so upset? What is that gonna change? And, you know, I, I read on Twitter, when you go and you, um, when you bomb Afghanistan, is that going to, is that going to help out what happened? Like, is that going to bring back the Twin Towers? Like, what, like, what are you, what is the, why is it, why, and I, I forget the, the, the young lady who was protesting and who was saying, who was speaking so powerfully and she was saying that we learned this. She said that if you want us to do better, you have to do better. Speaking to white people, speaking to uh, colonizers, speaking to those who benefit from white privilege and whose families benefit from white privilege. We've only, you guys have only ever done violence. All of your colonization is based off of violence. The lands that we're on right now is because of the violence of colonizers. Black people being taken from our lands on ships and, and against our will and our humanity, you know, just, it's, it's all based off violence. And when, when, I hear people argue um, that we're uh, that we shouldn't be so angry. It just it makes me, I think one or two things. One, they're just ex extremely ignorant, and two, they simply don't care. Our pain doesn't matter to them. Uh, as uh, you know, uh, other individuals in this chat articula articulated earlier, like they're more concerned with Target. They're more concerned with buildings that are on fire. They're more concerned with with inanimate objects than the intergenerational trauma and pain that black people have been experiencing like this what did you like what do you expect and i i from for myself you know a great example is donald trump uh tweeting you know i'm not even going to say like the the stupid idiot the tweeting that um when the looting starts the shooting starts and to me it's so funny because a couple of weeks ago he was riling up the white people protesting for trying to get a haircut or trying to come out of quarantine and trying to get a donut from a shop and it's like where are your priorities white people where are your priorities why are you so for protesting and angry protesting when it comes to something as stupid as getting a haircut in the midst of a global pandemic but when you see us hurt and when you see us in pain and you and and you see us peacefully protesting or trying to engage in discourse or trying to bring about any change whatsoever. And now when we're finally, like when we're upset and you really can feel our anger and our rage, this is a time when you tell us to be, sit down and, and, and not loot and not get angry. It's where I, I guess, I, I'm, I know I'm on a rant, but my main inquisition for white people, where are your priorities? I, I, I know, we all, I think everyone here knows, but. I mean, they need to ask themselves, where are their priorities? And out of all of this, I just come to, I've come to realize that I will no longer discuss 
uh, anti-black racism and how to how to fight against anti-black racism, I'm not going to discuss it with white people and non-black people of color. That's not my responsibility anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. Our cell phones hold more information than any library on this earth. If you are this stupid, uh, it's because you choose to be. And it's not my responsibility and it's none of our responsibilities anymore. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Tunji and then Emily. Yeah, and I was uh, I was really glad that Azuka uh, challenged me on the point I made earlier about um, you know like the information that that white people have because like I I just wanted to make it very very clear I if I use the word um, like access to information or, um, or or anything like that that's totally not what I intended to say um, obviously um, uh, white people could absolutely be educated on all of this stuff if they wanted to if they sought out and they looked for it I guess what what I was the point that I was trying to make before is just like I was just more speaking to how segmented social media is we have the whole internet available to us but at the end of the day the social media and the internet is segmented to um, what you want to see and like the and you know like the type of content that you want to see and how that has an effect on 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 times like this right so most of the people in here and you know most black people in general we follow mostly black content like whether it's black you know influencers whether it's you know uh, you know like you know the very woke people whether it's editor whatever the case may be we follow a lot of uh, black creatives because we want black content because that's what we relate to most white people follow mostly white content on their side as well and so when these things happen, all we have to do is open up our Instagram and, and you know, just look through maybe like one or two stories. And uh, we have all the information of what happened. The video is right there. The video shows up on my Instagram story over and over and over and over again. There's no way, there, like it's, it's very, very, um, it, it, like it would be impossible for me to, uh, miss what's going on because that's all what's being talked about on on my black social media um, You know Instagram and, and whatever platform I use on the flip side if uh, when this happens with a white person What they have is they follow a lot of people who may at this who may be very apprehensive to speak and so I'm not saying that they're completely unaware of it. I'm just saying it's not coming in like the ways that it comes um, you know, for, uh, for, for a black person on the internet, if that makes sense. And I had this conversation with one of my best friends. He's a white dude. He said, bro, I, I, I saw the thing happen and I went to resources. I went to trusted resources to try to figure out what happened so I could get the proper information. And in none of those articles did they show the video. Like, they didn't even show the, so the video wasn't on my social media. The video wasn't um, on any of the articles that I read. I had to really look to find the video. That's not the experience I had on my social media. On my social media, the video was right there. It was right there. And so, and so that's, that's what I mean when I say that, um, like, you know, the, the information isn't coming to them in the same way that it's coming to us. But even with that being said, that's no excuse. That is no excuse to um to deflect that's no excuse to um sort of uh absolve yourself of any responsibility that is no excuse because there has been enough time there has been enough time you've been confronted by enough white people whether it's on the internet on an, or in real life you should know better um even even with the segmented nature of of the internet you should absolutely know better so i i hope i'm 
I just made my, my point absolutely clear about that. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Um, and, you know, like you say, it's, it's really about the will. If you, if you feel that, um, if you care at all, you know, the information is out there. There's a wealth of information. You can read, you can, you can look it up. It's, it's all there. So really it's about who cares and who doesn't. And, um, you know, you're, you're, if you care, you'll be able to find it pretty easily. Um, I think we'll go to Travis and then Azuka and then we'll, we'll move on to another. So that's where I think a conversation could come in. And I know a lot of people, they have the mindset that it's not our responsibility to tell them all these things and like break it to them what's really going on. And that's what I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I feel like in reality, a lot of people are not going to like put in that energy to do their research and try to change their way of thinking. Cause to them, that's a, that's a new normal for them and they're comfortable where they are. And I think, um, some of us, like, I don't think this is for everybody, but if you have the emotional capacity or the energy to like talk to some of these people and just try to connect with them, I feel like you could get through to them. Because it's very different when you see things on TV or you read it than when a person that's close to you tells it to you. I feel like you res it, it resonates more that way. And I just feel like at the end of the day, we want to boost our allyship because we can't do this alone. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just my thoughts on it. But again, like first things first, protect your energy and don't feel pressured to, to do it. But yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Travis. Uh, yes, the, 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 we were talking about the will. Um, uh, when uh, we were talking about the will to, to change, to make a difference. And really, that's what we rely on. We rely, that's like, if, if, if white people said, we don't want this anymore, this needs to change, it would change. The reason it's not changing is that, that they're not calling for that. Um, I, I, I agree um, to a great extent that they can benefit from us, depending on, really depending on what kind of relationships we have, they can benefit from us telling them. Um, but it, is, it does take away from our energy. Um, and in, in many cases, people will ask you to do this kind of work for free. And I, 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 um, I understand that sometimes you'll have friends where you will say, okay, no, I can actually, this is really important to me, so I can take the time to do that. Um, we are also, especially here where we are, uh, where we're just, I think, just over 1% of, of black folks in, in, in Vancouver and BC, where most of us are calling from, it's, it, many of us don't even have the option of having, uh, we basically have to have white friends um, to just live, right? And whenever I meet black people here, it's like they're so excited to meet other black people. And I know there are a couple of little communities where that's not the case, but for so many that it is the case. And, and I know, I definitely know folks who have, who have, who have great white friends who are invested in anti-racism and who, who understand that it, it, it takes labor to explain to someone something that A, you have experienced through all your life, or in some cases you have gone out to learn. Um, and so 
I, the, the, the matter of protecting your energy, I think is important. Um, it's also important to recognize your own value and saying, hey, you, if you want me to explain this to you, I can do that or I can point you to resources, etc. But recognize that this is time I'm taking out of my day. And are you invested enough to, to, um, to pay me for this, be it in, 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 in money or in donations to organizations or, or, or whatever else? Or are you saying, are you kind of just saying, ah, well, I just want to be able to say something, but I don't really know. Um, because yes, all this stuff is available on the internet. And I think this will is something we really need to recognize. Um, I, we're calling, we're, we're having this call from Vancouver, and one of the reasons we don't have a black community is, is that uh, in the way that other communities do, is that the city actively destroyed that community. Um, and people could have stood up and said, hey, no, 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 you can't just take these people's livelihoods away. Um, but, but they didn't. And so it, this goes on and on and on and on. And um, I think right now there is enough information out there um, I think it, it might be useful for us in general to just have like a packet of hey learn about Canadian black history in Canada and racism in Canada and how you're profiting from it outside of just cultural appropriation and 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 go listening to black music and stealing black music but also hey this is this is something that happened here and you are profiting from it and we are still suffering as a result of it um, so, so do the work. If you want to enjoy the fruits of our labor, um, also learn our history and, and invest in us um, and, and, and bring us up to where we should be. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a great segue really into the next um, topic that which I was going to talk about um, had to do with allyship, um, particularly what, what that looks like and whether you feel I guess we feel as a group that we're owed allyship, particularly because it seems like white people and non-black people love to embrace everything about black people, but our actual um, our actual struggles. Um, you know, if it comes to our music, our, our 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 culture, our you know everything else that has to do with us, they they're very very happy to um, to put on you know whatever coat or to um, or to darken themselves just a little bit to look like us, but they 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 they, they seem to be hesitant to um, to take on or to to support us in, when we call out uh, injustices. So, do you feel that we're owed um, allyship? Um, and also, have you seen active active allyship? Have you been impressed by any allyship that you've seen? Um, I just want to get some some initial thoughts on you know um, how we feel about it. So, I'll start with Delfina maybe. Hi. So I do, I, I'm not okay. Um, and I have not been okay the past few days. Um, Instagram is driving me crazy. Uh, I don't have very many black friends in comparison to Asians and Indians. Uh, I grew up in Surrey. The you black people here are very limited. I probably know maybe like four other black families in my neighborhood. Um, I do feel like other, I, I, yeah, and I don't think black people and people of color are interchangeable 
things. I feel like this is a very separate topic because I, I don't feel like I really have strong allyship with other people of color at the moment. Um, other people that I see on Instagram are just simply reposting, but I really don't give a fuck if someone is just reposting and not saying anything. And I made a post about how I felt the other day on Instagram and I got a couple of private messages like from people I know who are trying to show that they care but to me that doesn't show you care your private messages that to me doesn't show that you've learned anything um, I and I'm normally like just like a typically like nice and like more so quiet person and I'm mad because I've been quiet about it for so long because I always felt so alone in my own community where people want to throw around the N-word and want to want to be want to be uh, rappers and want to do all these things and I feel like there's just a lack of understanding for you want to do all these great things that these like that we have created but when it's like you care about black life but you don't like care about like black existence, it's frustrating to see. Like you don't care about black death. Like that's plain and simple. Um, I, for me, what a good ally would look like would be someone, I, I don't wanna talk. I don't wanna talk to other people like who aren't black. Like I don't care about anyone else who isn't black right now. Like that's it, like my family period, that's, that's all. Um, like for me, an ally would be someone who would like, acknowledge that they've said the n-word they've done all these racist things they acknowledge this is where they could have hurt someone they've they've like even though maybe they haven't seen like struggle like the way we have or like feel that pain like they want to do something and it's i don't think it has to do with messaging your one black friend i really think it has to do with the education of people who are not black and you trying to tell them that like sticking up for someone who is suffering, like as in calling someone out, teaching them, telling them to Google something else. Because like, I, like everyone said, I feel really exhausted having to like open these things and say like, like read messages like I stand by you. I don't care if you stand by me, put it up on your story if that's the way you really feel. Like your private messages are not doing, you're, you're not doing me any justice by not telling someone else who doesn't get it. And I'm really caught in between. I want other people to realize and like to talk about, to talk about this, like the people who are not black. But at the same time, when I do see them talking about it, it's still like really infuriating because I, I want people to be allies, but I don't want people to just say I'm an ally like I want to see like real work I want to read essays like of someone like acknowledging they fucked up and telling them that they're really trying and saying if I see injustice I'm gonna do my best not even do your best I am going to stick up for you in like any way I can and I feel like so many people when Kobe Bryant passed away were so my heart is so heavy I can't even go to work like let's take a moment of silence for this let's let's do all these things like I can't even I woke up today and I felt all these things but like okay yeah me too but then all these other black people like regular like black people in these communities are dying what where where is the same heavy-heartedness like I'm I'm so confused and 
I, I also don't like that people want to downplay like how it is in Canada compared to US. Like the pain is like literally carrying through because people want to pay attention to the US more. And these ideas and images are the same types of things that are carried and placed on Canadians because there's like how many there's like one out of 50 of us like all around here you know what I mean so like it's it's the same and to think that and for some like people like in Canada or like in Vancouver to just think you didn't experience slavery so it's fine or we're you're not in Canada so you're good like that's that's wrong it's just like I'm seeing how my fellow like black brothers and sisters are being treated and this is affecting me because this is exactly the way you see me too. Um, that's my piece. You know. Thank you, <laughs> you Delphina. Um, we'll go to Amy and then uh, you. Um, yeah, thank you for all of that, Delphina. That was, yeah, I like echo that so deeply. Um, I, I think like allyship is like something that I always like, I don't know, have a contentious relationship with. Cause like, I'm not always sure what that means. Because like you say, like it's sometimes you're not sure what part is just performance, especially in this current time where like there is to some extent like social capital in performing allyship, you know what I mean? And so it's hard sometimes. But I think during this week, at least for me, I have, I have seen some non-black and white folks that I know personally who have been supportive and been, in my opinion, true allies. But I, in, the, in the same breath, I thought like, this is maybe largely because of the context I'm in. Like as someone who like, I'm in uh, grad school in a like gender studies program. The people in those spaces are almost always engaging with these topics. You know what I mean? So I was like, those are the people who are saying things. And to me, it's not new for them to say those things. And I feel supported by those people. But in the same breath, I know other people that I'm friends with, I have been friends with for a long time who have not said anything who have been posting what they've been posting this whole time. You know what I mean? Like, it's not happening in their world. And that has been, and I've tried to kind of like, not ignore it, but just being like, I see it, but I can't engage with it. Like, if you're messaging me about something that doesn't have to do with this, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to respond. I will leave you in red. Don't talk about some peripheral thing to me when you're not willing to engage with like the billion things I've posted about this. You know what I mean? Like. And so like, that's difficult because at the same time, I'm also someone who's always like, am I being judgmental? Am I leaving space for them to also feel these things in the ways that work best for them or process these things in the ways that make sense for them? And so like, I'm always so like conflicted about how I think about allyship. And I don't, I think maybe at this point also, like there's a little bit of jadedness that exists, at least for me, because it's like, you see this over and over again. And you know the people who feel comfortable um, saying that you're, they love you or they're your friends and then you see their silence and you're like, yeah, I've seen the silence before. Like it was the same silence when uh, Trevor Martin died. It was the same silence when we were arguing about like Eric Garner, it was the same silence. And it's like, yeah, like I'm unsurprised. I'm sad, but I'm unsurprised, you know what I mean? And I think like the idea, um, like you asked, like are we owed allyship? I think more than that. We definitely are, but I don't expect it. Like, mm. it's like, no, y'all don't check for us. Y'all don't, like, you don't, you don't, you're not here for us. Like, I don't always feel like you have our backs. You know what I mean? And I think this is why when conversations of, of appropriation come up, 
people are like, oh, you're so pressed about some like non-black person wearing braids. I'm like, yeah, because you can take it off. That's the point. That's the point. Like you don't have to, like the moment it's not convenient, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I've never, what is blackness? Never heard of her. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's why I'm angry. And that's why even though it seems like it's just hair or it's, it, it's not, you know? Sorry, I got a little heated. Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Amy. Uh, we'll go to Yule and then Emily. Yeah, I think with regards to allyship, um, allyship in, in, um, in terms of anti-blackness and police brutality, police murders, I think this is white people have to do all the work. It's just, I, I know I'm reiterating, but at this point in time, white people and, and with regards to anti-black racism, white people and non-black people of color, this is their job. This is, it's their time to put in the work and to, and to unlearn things themselves and to work in their communities. Um, you know, I think in the, in the South Asian community within the greater Vancouver area, the use of the N-word, the use of appropriating black culture, the use, and then when these instances and these issues come up, their silence is, is the loudest thing I hear because I know that they love black culture and I know that they, they exploit it, they yearn to profit off of it, but they never ever want to speak up when these issues occur. Um, it's just not something that black people, it's not our job right now to, to correct that, it's, it's their job too. Um, with white, uh, white supremacy, it's, that's why people need to hold their own communities accountable. They need to put in the work themselves. I think it's really exhausting for any black person to, um, and I know, I, I hope I'm not reiterating, but to constantly um, argue, uh, argue the things that we're going through, to argue how we're oppressed and for people to, especially, you know, in Canada, people to say that it is, it's simply we're, we're, we're over-exaggerating, we're, we're, it's not that bad here. Um, and and the they're so what? What do you want me to do about it? It's, uh, do you want me to go in the past and change things? It's it's their their ignorance. It's their complicity and, and their their they're, they're being so complacent with regards to what's going on. Um, I think allyship at this point in time is it, it, I think it's them putting in the work in themselves in their own communities, checking their racist aunts and uncles at Thanksgiving, um, not allowing themselves to to be complacent with what's going on. Because at the end of the day, I think also you know. Um, this for me one of the biggest instances of police brutality that, that really shook me to the core was mike brown because he was my age he i was just about to go to college he was just about to go to college so i think mike brown's death was the death that, that really all of them do i don't please don't misinterpret what i'm saying but for some peculiar reason mike brown's death when he was killed uh by, when he was murdered by the officer it shook me to the core because i was about to go to i'm the same age as him I was just about to go to college and he was just about to go to college. And I remember um, protesting and signing petitions and doing what I could to, to do anything. I felt helpless, but I tried to do anything. When I tried to encourage my white friends and non-black friends, they weren't really receptive. Um, not in the same way as when I showed them Jay's new album or when I showed them Rihanna's new music video. The response wasn't the same. And so I think right now, I don't want to reiterate, but right now, it, like what it communicates to me when I, when I hear about Rihanna's death, when I see George's death, uh, and when I see the people in my community who are not black and who are white uh, and uh, non-black people of color and who are white and they're not really doing anything, ultimately what communicates to me is that if I or my sister or my mom or dad were killed in the same manner by police officers, they wouldn't ride for us. And I think, I think for me, it's, it's much more than allyship at, at this point. It's them admitting that they are inherently racist and that they're complicit and complacent with the way things are. And... Um, it's when they really acknowledge their, their own racism, when they acknowledge their privilege, and when that's when it starts. And 
uh, from then on, it's, it's the work they need to put on into themselves and in their families and in their communities. I just, you know, black people are really struggling right now. We're watching images of us die every time we scroll down the timeline. So it would be really unfair to expect us to be traumatized like this and then expect us to put in the work. When in reality, we've been putting in the work. It's your guys, it's been your time to uh, learn your racist ideologies and ways of life and, and, and to work on yourselves and your communities. So that's what allyship looks like for me. Okay, um, I was just gonna say, I wanted to share um, just another uh, perspective on allyship that's sort of new to me, maybe in the last, I'd say year or so. Um, and that sort of happened for me. And I mean, it kind of goes to show you how much um, history and, and sort of truth is, is repressed, especially um, in the country that we live in. Um, and that's with respect to the, a lot of the Wet'suwet'en protests that were happening um, earlier this year. Um, and I think I just kind of had uh, a bit of a eureka moment when I, when I just realized like my own experiences growing up, um, never being taught the history of the indigenous folks whose land we're on, not understanding, like I remember as a kid, like I didn't even realize that indigenous people were still around. I kind of thought that they actually, because all we had was, you know, Disney's Pocahontas, or we have the, uh, you know, basically it's set up like a museum. You know, you get artifacts, you get shown these, the way people used to be or what have you. And it took, even after getting a degree in anthropology, like I still didn't quite understand how connected um, our struggles are. Um, and so I think for myself, now when I look for an ally, I don't go to white people first. I, I've, I've noticed that the people that are showing up for each other, um, especially where, where, where I'm living right now, um, are the indigenous folks. And I feel like there's been a lot of, um, you know, when, when we don't know those histories, we don't see the similarities between them. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about how isolated and alone sometimes we feel in our sort of disparate communities. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that maybe, you know, as we're progressing in this, what I hope is a revolution, um, we might find some connections with folks, um, you know, especially indigenous folks and maybe, you know, boost our numbers and our allies because we need, we need each other so much. I think on the front end of things, I could see an improvement in allyship. So in terms of people posting and posting their opinions, so on and so forth on Instagram, I think it's more now than ever before. Maybe it could be due to COVID and we're all on our phones constantly these days, or maybe people are starting to change their minds slowly. Um, but what's more important is more the back end, like what's going off, what's, what are they doing um, when they're off their phones and all that. I think that's the most important part. And we don't know any of that. So like, how could we look at a person and be like, oh, you're my ally or you're not on so on. And um, yeah, that's just something I was just thinking of, about. When I think about allyship and listening to what some of you have said, I think, I mean, there's the social media aspect for sure, but I also think that like allyship 
Um, and Amarachi spoke about performative allyship and people just, hey, everyone see how, how involved I am and how I'm writing for people. But really, like, you don't need to know any black people to be an ally. You, like, if, if you are committed to change, if you don't want to pe see people suffer, have those conversations with your family. Those are hard conversations to, to have. Most, of, most people have a hard time telling their family that they love them or what, what, what troubles they have in their life. Go and sit down with your family and tell them what's happening in the world and call them out when they uh, think it's funny to say the N-word or think they can say it in a song or when they, um, when they talk about black people and, and, as, and, and use the word ghetto and all, all, all this sort of thing. It's, it's really important to have those conversations in your home, not just to have them in, in, in places where you're black acquaintances can see you. Are you speaking up when no one's there? Because that's when it matters. I've seen some great examples of allyship, mostly on social media because we're inside, um, of, of, of white folks who know that their bodies are safer than ours, much safer than ours, and that their eyes are, uh, have a different power than ours because of a cop sees that, oh, there's someone watching, a white person watching, that they're, they're going to act differently. So there have been incidents of um, white people pulling over because, uh, because they saw a police car pull over a black person and just, and just sitting there and waiting, just watching. Okay, I'm just, I'm just making sure the police officer knows I'm here and that someone's watching. Um, at some of the protests, we had white folks um, build a human barrier between some of the black protesters and the cops. That's great. They're not going to shoot any white people. Um, like those people are aware that they have power and that they have privilege and that really um, like that's, that's where change can come in. And I really, really, really uh, think that having conversations with family, having conversations with friends and calling them out when you're not just with your black friends. I want to know, um, I want to know that like, the, the people who, who are who I'm around, like that if I'm not there, if someone says something about me or about people who look like me, um, that they're still writing for me. Um, and, and so, yeah, you don't need to have black friends. Um, I think you, you're more likely to make genuine friendships with black people if you, if you are a true ally, but you don't need to have them. Um, and as far as some of the conversations I've had recently with, with black folks, um, specifically around a lot of the violent uh, anti-Asian attacks like that, that we've heard about, seen, um, horrible attacks on, 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 that are also fueled by ignorance, but mostly it's clear that, oh, you, wanna, you, want, you want someone you can blame for this virus. So look for someone who's, who's maybe Chinese, but probably not because we've also had incidents of, of uh, people attacking indigenous people thinking they were Chinese. Um, and what I, what I noticed talking to black folks is that for many of them, it was really hard to stand in solidarity because they had so many experiences of Asian people, um, especially East Asian people being similar to white folks in, in just the, the amount of anti-black blackness they had expressed. Um, it, to them, be it, be it I just like you, some of you may have experienced this, going to stores and, and finding you're, you're being treated very differently. Um, or... Uh, Boys at clubs who just, uh, 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 yeah, very appropriative and, 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 and think that they can appropriate blackness in, in whatever way they please. So um, it's, it's very upsetting. Um, 
and I mean, at the end of the day, there are great examples of of um, South Asian, East Asian, Philippinex um, allies, uh, and we see them out at protests. We see them out uh, like usually then activist circles, but they're too few. They're too few for us for it to make a really big difference. Um, and so I really want to encourage those communities to have those conversations. How, how does anti-blackness uh, appear in, in South Asian communities and East Asian communities? And, and why is that? And, and why not do something about that? Um, because at the end of the day, an allyship is it's about a mutual benefit. And if we write, if you write hard for our community, we'll write hard for for, for your community. And I think especially in, in areas where, uh, that are more gentrified and where sort of black and Asian communities are more pushed together, you see that, you happen to see that more. I think um, in Louisiana after the floods, it was like Vietnamese communities and black communities working together, uh, re realizing that if they combined forces, they could, they could uh, push against the state and not see things happen as we did with, the, uh, with Hogan's Alley and the viaducts in Vancouver. Yeah, Travis and Azuka basically took the words out of my mouth. It's, um, it, you know, it's, it's about what you do offline, right? And I, I, and I guess I have sort of like a, like a sort of a, a sideways take on that, which is that, you know, as, as Black people, we have to be careful that when we say things like, you know, if you're silent, you're part of the problem. You know, if you're not saying anything, if you're not speaking up, you're only perpetuating the problem. That's true. We just have to be careful that we don't equate speaking, speaking up to making a post on social media, because that's not the only way that somebody can speak up or make a difference, right? And um, I, 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 there was this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. speech that I saw where he said the exact same thing that we're saying. It's just like, you know, like at the end of the day, we're going to remember, you know, the silence um, the, the silence of a lot of people and, and the silence of people has a larger effect on this as well. That was back in 1960, whatever, when social media wasn't even, the, the internet, computers, none of this stuff was around, but he was still talking about silence. So, so what did that mean back then? It was about, you know, your day to day. It was about when you see racism or when you confront it, you have to acknowledge it, you have to call it out amongst, um, amongst your white group. So um, certainly, social media is the best way to get something out to a lot of people out at once. Absolutely. That's one way of speaking out. But, you know, I would much rather take the person who, you know, saw what was going on, internalized it, figure out how they can um, get better as far as, um, you know, acknowledging the white privilege. And it's the type of person who will call out their racist grandpa or grandpa grandpa or grandma if they say something racist you know who will call someone out in the workplace if they if they see something prejudiced i would much take rather take that person over the person who posts on social media black lives matter and say okay great i did a good thing for black people today i'm gonna go and get a smoothie you know what i mean like there's there's a bunch of different ways to to be an ally there's a bunch of different ways to speak up to acknowledge and let you know like my people let's just be careful that you know, if we don't see that somebody posts, then that means automatically that they have, they haven't done anything because it's not necessarily true. I totally agree. I think the point um, you're making, Junji, about uh, how what you're seeing online, what you're not seeing online, isn't necessarily like represent a good representation of like your overall thoughts and belief and your processing. I think that's totally true, and I hope I wasn't saying the opposite. Um, 
I would also say though, like I think why there's a lot of emphasis on that right now is because a lot of us are living our lives virtually. We're doing this on a Zoom call. Like all, a lot of our everyday lives have moved online. You know what I mean? And so I think maybe there's more of an emphasis on the ways you're showing up for people in that way because we can't see anything else. We don't get to be in relationship and in community in the same ways that we have before. And so I think maybe that's why there's a bit more emphasis on like, who's not talking? Like, you know, who's not saying anything? And I think it's not the same as like, oh, someone doesn't post, like isn't posting anything at all. And they're not going out of their way to then post this. It's like the people who are still posting, you're still posting your, your meals, you're still posting your walks. Like, love it, I'm so glad. Feed yourself, you know what I mean? Go outside. But like, you don't get to be present and not, you know, say something. I think that's, that's like the feeling. And kind of going off what Azuka was saying, I think a word that I've like heard um, in thinking about allyship is like, you have to be accomplices. You have to be co-conspirators. You know what I mean? It's not, it doesn't look like, look like, oh, wow, this is so awful. I feel sad that this thing happened to you. It's like, no, I'm in this too. Like, I'm in this with you. Like, what are we doing? When do we move? Like, do you know what I mean? And so it's like, if right now that looks like we're gonna be online, like saying this over and over again until people who don't wanna listen have to listen, then that's what it looks like. That makes sense. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Amy. Um, yeah, and I think the last uh, point that I wanted to um, pitch to the group was um, having to do with um, whether we feel differently about what's going on right now. You know, maybe we, you know, because it's kind of a, uh, we're kind of, I don't know what the term is, but you're, you're almost, it's in the moment right now and it's fresh and it's, it's new on our minds. Um, but I, I was hoping to sort of uh, get a sense of how people feel about what's going on right now, whether it's, you feel hopeful that it will lead to some change or, you know, because like we talked about how it's a cycle, You've seen this before, you know it's, it may not lead to anything new and there's going to be another killing and, and, and then we're going to go through it all over again. So do you feel like it's different this time or do you feel like it's, it's much more of the same? Um, yeah, yeah, we'll, maybe we'll start with you. How do you feel? Um, I, I don't feel hopeful. And I almost feel that's, that's borderline blasphemous to, to communicate. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I woke up, I think it was Thursday morning or Wednesday morning this week. And I felt this, this just, this sense of just hopelessness. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't know if it's the fact that I've been on my phone quite a bit this past week and I've been seeing the same videos over and over again on loop on my timeline. I don't know that if it, I don't know if it's like me trying to explain myself to people who just don't get it or to explain what we're going through to people who don't get it. Um, but I, I feel as if what can, like at this point, I'm like, what can I say that hasn't been said before? What could I show that hasn't been shown before? I can do so, I could try to do so many things. I could, you know, I, and I will, I'll, I'll, I always will do my part. My community is everything to me. Black people are magic and, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't be anything else. But what can I do at this point in time? Even today, my sister and I, I went into, we went uh, grocery shopping and I went in my car and we drove to the store and it was a weird vibe between us. We're really close. And then we went to, uh, we went to the store and at the checkout, 
a man, uh, the one of the workers accused my sister of stealing one of the shirts. He asked, like, where did you put your tag? Why, why is the tag not on this? And to me, it's, it's, I'm reminded all, like, even if, even if I will really, be like, I, I, I'm black all the time. And that's, uh, that's why I think we were talking a little earlier about it's so frustrating um, seeing people appropriate our culture and then take off the braids when it's not convenient for them. I am a black man all the time. My sister is a black woman all the time. If you are a black member of the LGBTQIA community, all, like you, are, you hold an intersectional identity all the time. So we, this, what can we do? And I, I think, you know, for myself, I've had conversations with uh, my beautiful black friends and family this whole week. And I, I've been reading Literature on the Other Side of Freedom by DeRay McKesson. I've, I've, been, I've been listening to Lemonade. I've been doing everything I can to really hold on to uh, any semblance of hope and, and, and security. But if I'm going to be very honest, and I know as a black man, I don't often get the opportunity to be vulnerable and to, and to say this, but I'm terrified. I don't, I don't want you to, t I don't want people to tell me, oh, you're in Canada, you're good. No, I'm, as a black man, I feel like I, everywhere I go, like, I, even this week when I went to the grocery store, people are looking at me and, and I could tell, they know, like, oh, I wonder if he's mad. I wonder if he knows what's going on. Like, yes, I, of course I do. And I, I don't feel any, I don't, I feel hopeless. Um, I feel sad. I feel like tired yeah hey um i i do i do have some hope um it it is i do feel like it is getting better inch by inch and it does lead me to believe that eventually um it's it's very very hard for for me to believe that these things will start will stop happening hard stop because it just happens so often that unfortunately we get you know used to it but i have hope in the sense that one day these things will be dealt with properly and swiftly and what i mean by that is is like i just looked it up trayvon martin um passed away in 2012 which is crazy to think about because it doesn't feel like that long ago but um so that was eight years ago eight years ago george zimmerman nothing happened to him N nothing nothing happened to the man and we've gone from nothing happening to george zimmerman in 2012 to a police officer being arrested in 2020 i see that as improvement personally now we'll wait to see what happens we'll see wait to see if the police officer gets convicted um it's not cause for celebration for me because um you know George uh, um, uh, Floyd should have never, um, George Floyd, that's the name, right? I would have wanted to get yeah. the name, guys. Yeah, George Floyd should have never died in the first place. However, with that being said, if this was 2012, that officer never would have been arrested. He would have been put on, you know, temporary leave, maybe even, you know, like paid leave and then like come back once the dust settled. Now an officer has been arrested. I do have hope that this thing inch by inch, little by little is getting better. Um, I have, you know, and, and, and with each protest, I, I, it seems like, you know, the outcry is getting bigger. This one has been huge. There've been a lot of white people I've been seeing speaking up, you know, back to that whole ally conversation. Um, will this be known in history as a turning point? I don't know, but just with the whole thing in general, it just, just it does seem like inch by inch, you know, it, 
the 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 corrupt judicial system isn't being able to get away with just you know sliding it under the rug and that gives me hope and you know that's just what i'm hanging on so thank you and, and i would just add that um you know just to put in perspective how frustrating this is um you know the civil rights movement you could go even before that to the abolition era um and then that's how many years how many decades we've been at this and we're now getting to a point where we're like okay we'll just take a charge. Meanwhile, you know, so far it's only been a third degree murder charge, which is ridiculous. And they're blaming it on pre-existing conditions as in, oh, his knee was on his neck, but um, you know, maybe he died because he had uh, signs of um, heart disease. That makes no sense, right? So, um, and then, you know, on the other side of it, probably this man wouldn't have been charged if he wasn't caught on video. So when we talk about progress, like, it, it's frustrating, like we're, we're really looking at small incremental change and we're supposed to celebrate because, um, you know, something might happen. No, like it's, we have such a long way to go. And I think that's sort of the hopeless feeling that's, that's coming around. Yeah, the, the, the question of hope, I think it's really important not to feel, <laughs> not to feel bad for not being hopeful. I think it, it's, I think it's completely fine. Um, because history tells us exactly this, that, that, that this progress is, has, been, has been very slow. I feel that the, all the humanity will end before anti-blackness stops being a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and while that is obviously sounds, uh, no, well, yeah, it sounds terrible, and it is terrible because that, those are our lives. And um, yes, some things have improved, but they haven't improved very quickly. I don't think uh, I don't think it is unreasonable to demand not to be killed now. Uh, it's, it's not like oh, I, maybe my great great grandchildren will be uh, will be free. No, that, that's I, it, the things that have been asked for have been unjust and have been cruel for for centuries and. It is cruel to ask people to, uh, to um, respond with nonviolence, violent protest to violent police and call for nonviolent protest. Call for nonviolent police. Like, what, we need police reform. We need, uh, really, we need police abolition because the system that the police force is built on is so corrupt that uh, it, makes, it, makes, like, it makes no sense to try to uh, uh, um, sort of rework a messed up system that, that is built on the oppression of, of black and brown, brown bodies. And is there hope for, for Samuel Ukoko, uh, Tony McDade, George Floyd, um, Regis Koczynski, Packett, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor? No, those people, they're dead. And they're not gonna come back and their families have to live with, with, with this, these unnecessary deaths for the rest of their lives. Um, I, the hope that I see is, is in my communities is, is when I see that joy with, that, that, that we do have at moments and we do, do share, when I see progress here and there. Um, but until, until, we, uh, uh, until we have true allyship, until people decide, hey, it's not enough for just 
for just uh, black people to stand up for themselves, but actually the people who are oppressing black people need to say, oh, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Maybe we shouldn't have been doing that forever. And it's time for major systemic changes uh, for reparations, etc. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but I don't think I'm going to see it. I think uh, we'll have small victories and I think there'll be lots of conveniences for us, but um, I am not hopeful that I will see the kind of freedom um, that we deserve. Honestly, just echoing so much of that. Um, like, I think the hopelessness is um, where I think maybe a lot of people are right now, not only because um, of just like the continuous nature of this violence and just how much of it we see and how much of it we know exists even though we're not seeing it. And that sheer knowledge that is, a lot of this is being swept under the rug. A lot of this is not getting the same attention. Um, and I think that makes me feel hopeless. I think also, even just as someone has said, like maybe being on social media a lot, seeing a lot of people's callousness and cruelty and like my sister sent me a video yesterday of um, some white men doing like a recreation of the video as a joke. And I was like, and she was like, why do they hate us? And I'm like, sis, like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. And in those moments, I'm like, I don't, I can't imagine anything different from this moment. I can imagine more rage and I can hope for more, um, just more black community, coming together and pushing back and um, rebelling. But I, I, in those moments, I can't imagine like actual change. I think also like the way we imagine um, justice, the fact that that is grounded in the institutions of police and imprisonment and the prison system, that in itself makes me hopeless because those systems are necessarily, like Azuka said, like a part of the problem. They're necessarily, um, like a part of the violence. And so to expect that those same systems are the ones that are gonna bring about justice for black lives and black people, I'm like, yeah, things are just not gonna add up. Like that to me seems so, like it just doesn't make sense, right? Like I think like I was reading something on Twitter that was like, it's always important to remember like the DA and the like medical examiners, all these people are getting their, their checks the same place as the police officers. These systems are necessarily, like what we're thinking about as the justice system is necessarily tied to the police, like the institution of policing and um, the prison complex, right? And it's like, if this is where our hope is for any kind of justice, we're already, we're already done. Like, you know, there's no, there's no way to imagine real justice then. Because it's like, like Azuka was saying, like, ideally, abolition is the only kind of reform that is acceptable like the only kind of reform that will actually make a difference. But we can't even imagine that because like the police and the prison industrial complex are so deeply ingrained into what our society is, into what like how we imagine nation and how we imagine capitalism. We cannot even imagine justice outside of those like parameters, right? So for me, it's like that is part of what will always, always like kind of like feed the hopelessness. Because I'm like, we're celebrating the arrest of a, an officer, which 100% makes sense because in the past that would not happen. But it's also like you're being arrested by the police that you are a part of. <laughs> like, no, no, that is not enough. That will never be enough. And like, 
yeah, I think that makes me hopeless and that makes me angry because I'm like, I don't, I like, as I said, I don't know that we will see anything that is like a real substantial change in our lifetime. But it's like, yeah, we're going to yell and we're going to fight and we're going to cry and still continue fighting because hopefully someone else in our generation will see it. And like, even that is, that in itself is the hope. To me, that's just a little bit, but that's the hope I have. Thank you. Thank you for that, Amy. Um, yeah, and I, I think this this has been really helpful um, for me and I, and I hope for some of you because, you know, there's been so much, I think, noise on social media and sometimes it's difficult to, uh, to express yourself, you know, because you kind of keep things inside and you try to um, you just process everything in real time. And, and I think it's been helpful just to talk about how you're feeling and to, um, you know, share some of your perspective and I so I hope you know it's been helpful for um, those on here to to express yourselves and then also those listening or watching uh, to hear some of you know people like you particularly black people I'm talking to at this time you know um, express themselves so um, thank you so much uh, to everyone who's, who's taking part in this and um, thank you for to people who have watched and and or listened um, uh, we, we'd love to continue the discussion, so don't be afraid uh, to comment below if you're watching or you know, if you're listening, you can send us a, um, an email or anything. And um, you can also follow us on social media. We have a page, it's at Unbox Show, um, either on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, so with that being said, um, thank you everyone once again, and um, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.